You're listening to Yumcha, a news podcast from Hong Kong Free Press, with me, Mercedes Hutton. This week, an invisible web of workers, with Cynthia Chang and Maxime Van Hollebeck. Hong Kong is often praised for its efficiency. But behind its clean streets, prompt public transport system and 24-hour convenience are countless workers, often in low-paid jobs, who keep the city going. Through their social impact storytelling platform, Hong Kong Shifts, Cynthia and Maxime seek to celebrate these people whose contributions so often go unnoticed. At its heart, the project involves speaking to shift workers and telling their stories on Hong Kong Shifts' social media accounts through photography and bilingual write-ups in English and Chinese. Hi, um, I'm Cynthia uh, Cheng, and I am the, one of the co-founders of Hong Kong Shifts, which is a social impact storytelling platform. So very happy to be here today. Hi, and I'm Maxim. I am also one of the co-founders of Hong Kong Shifts, and I'm very happy to be here today as well to talk about the project and why we are still going after three years. So, Cynthia, you just mentioned that um, Hong Kong Shifts is a social impact storytelling platform. Um, what exactly does that mean? Mm. And, and what can it achieve? We call it a social impact storytelling platform. Well, storytelling is really at the core of everything that we do at Hong Kong Shifts. Um, we started off with, with our community project, which is um, collecting and sharing stories of shift workers all around Hong Kong. Mm-hmm there's always two elements to our stories. So we have um, some environmental portraits of our interviewees in their working environment and also a bilingual story. So text, it's maybe 400 to 500 words written in English and in, in Cantonese. Um, we are very um, proud of the fact that it's a bilingual storytelling platform um, and the way that actually we write the Chinese, we've made a decision to write it in quite a colloquial way so as to capture the way that people speak and to make it more more authentic. Not only is it just sharing of human stories, but there's an angle to our stories, which is to put a spotlight on people who are working behind the scenes all around us in the city. Um, and we really hope to be able to use these stories to build empathy, to build bridges, and to foster connections between different communities in the city, and which is why we call it social impact storytelling. Do you get comparisons to uh, Humans of New York a lot? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people, um, that does come to mind, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously a very successful platform. Um, but we do kind of distinguish ourselves a little bit in that we we do have a much narrower angle and um, kind of our mission maybe is slightly more focused as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic project and I'm a fan myself. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and I would add to it that so when we tell these stories, it's not only about telling uh, nice stories, it's also really to invite people to act. Social impact uh, implies, in my mind at least, uh, an activity. And so we really invite our audience um, to, to, to look around, be, be a little bit uh, curious, maybe sometimes get out of one's comfort zone, um, and, and, and to realize that we are surrounded by people day in, day out, and many of them are there to make our lives comfortable. So it's really a call 
um, to action in, in the broad sense. Uh, and then our focus is really on trying to use this call to action to promote social inclusion and diversity, um, which aligns with uh, our social impact mission. And then uh, finally, uh, as we started Hong Kong Shifts, we have increasingly been working and collaborating with NGOs and social enterprises that are there on the ground trying to have a social impact, promoting very concretely social inclusion and diversity. And, and we are hoping um, to help them uh, and give them the visibility they deserve by telling their stories and using our platform to do so. Um, in terms of, of actions, have people who see your stories and read, read these people's stories, have they come up to you and told you about how they have looked around and been like, oh, I've noticed someone for the first time. Has this, have you had this feedback? Yes, absolutely. We actually get quite a lot of these comments um, on our social media platform or even in person when mm -hmm. people see us. Um, a lot of people say that they've start, they've been brave to take the first step to engage with people um, that are in their community. So for example, they'd be more um, willing to have a chat with the taxi driver or say hello to the security guard um, and also just to be generally a bit more open um, to making these small interactions with um, people all around us. So that's been really nice to hear when we get those messages. Yeah, and, and also we um, meet up with our audience uh, through events mm -hmm. or workshops or the initiatives. There's always uh, an, a part where we try to get the audience involved in actual storytelling activities or, or in activities that are really aimed at facilitating contacts and, and relationships between the people that participate in these events. So that's really um, at the heart of what we are trying to do. Um, we are trying also, um, when we think about our social media presence, uh, to become more um, participatory, if that's the word, where we, we are we would work closer with our audience to source some of the stories and work with them uh, to create and share these stories as opposed to just us going around and, and telling these stories. So that's also uh, with the aim of getting our audience more directly involved because it's by doing that mm -hmm. you will uh, get to a result rather than being more Passive. passively listening to these stories, mm -hmm. even though that's the first step. Of yeah. And so for you, when did your first step come? And how did it how did it arise? Where did Hong Kong shifts come from? Maxime, he wanted to kind of engage with the security guard um, that he's passed by for like five years and not without with the language barrier, he wasn't able to kind of speak with her. And he re had this strong idea to kind of capture her, like her and her work environment with these portraits. Um, and then... But I think you came then with the suggestion of interviewing the story yes me from to, to, to get her story and that's how we decided to do it do the Hong way Kong we did shifts, and, yeah. and so that's how yeah. the project started I, I think we we came to realize I, I grew up in Hong Kong mm -hmm. um, and Maxime's been living in Hong Kong for more than a decade as well um, that we're often interacting with people or living in, in very confined bubbles all around us well, yes, I, uh, more generally, um, when I arrived to Hong Kong, I still remember vividly walking in Central and on a Sunday and seeing 
many women uh, mm. sitting on the ground on on the, on the alleys, and and that was really puzzling to me. And it took me a while to realize that these were migrant domestic workers that were uh, there um, to um, make and 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 make. Hong Kongers and, 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 and the expert communities to make it possible for them to to have their their jobs, to live, to go to work while somebody is taking care of the household. Uh, and then gradually we realize that, um, and it's maybe not specific to Hong Kong, but I think it's maybe more visible. Mm. There are loads of people that walk around us um, and that are there to help us and make our lives easier mm-hmm. uh, going from, as I said, the migrant domestic workers to the security guard to the uh, the people that um, transport uh, all of us. So I, I think we 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 had this realization early on, but it took us a while um, to transform that into the visual storytelling mm-hmm. project that Hong Kong Shifts is today. Also, we we made the conscious decision of using photography as opposed mm-hmm. to video. Uh, we live in a very fast based environment in Hong Kong and we thought that having one, two or three still pictures, um, hopefully if the pictures are good, um, uh, increases the chances that they might stick um, with uh, the people uh, seeing it and hopefully the story sticks with the picture. So so that's a very conscious decision Mm -hmm. and um, um, yes, it's a question that people are asking us often, oh, why don't you guys do video? Uh, but so far, we have managed to uh, to stick to our, our, our guns and, and, and use photography. Also, it's a lot easier to take pictures than video, to, to be fair. Yes, yeah. um, and how does the division of labor work? Who does what? I'm usually the one who's, who's approaching the interviewees. Mm-hmm. So I will make an initial contact with them, and then I will start a conversation, very casual chat. Um, so I'll do the interview if they're willing to, and then I'll, I'll, I'm the one who writes up the stories. And Maxime is our resident photographer. <laughs> so he takes all of these uh, beautiful portraits of people um, on shifts, essentially. Yeah. And have you always been interested in photography? I've always enjoyed photography mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. As, a, as a hobby. And I'm not portraying myself as being a, a good photographer. I think I'm, I have the luxury of... of having access to um, these people because Cynthia has already um, warmed them up. Uh, I mean, I think if <laughs> I were... does to, all the hard work. <laughs> yeah, well, if I, if I were to come... And I, there's something that some photographers in the city have told me, said, oh, I'm very... We're very um, envious of, mm. of the access you have to these people because if I was to approach a stranger, can I get your portrait... It, it's it's you wouldn't get the same result and you would also not get the same openness yeah and that's literally something i see the pictures when i look back at the pictures i took of an interview the first few pictures and the last pictures it's the same person but it's a total different mm-hmm. image just because we have this very small connection yeah which makes the whole difference i think also it's worth mentioning that one of our key values is um, authenticity, but also dignity. So we really want to capture and portray these people in a very dignified manner so that they're, they feel proud of what they do and what they stand for. I think that really that rings through 
the stories and the and the images that you have, I think there's definitely a, you can sense this pride mm-hmm. that these people have in their work, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you, you also see as we are actually conducting the interview, and usually we don't have a lot of time, right? Because all of the people we're featuring are shift workers that are busy on their shifts, <laughs> so we have like ten minutes uh, to do the interviews, take the pics, and then uh, we just leave um, to write the story uh, but you can see that as the interview goes and 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 the people are gradually opening up and even my work as a photographer becomes easier because people get more comfortable mm-hmm. and and yes and so at, once we have published the interview we do go back uh, to meet with the people to share their stories share their pictures and you can see that um, most of the time they are very proud yeah. of, of seeing their story being shared and, and having a picture because for many of our interviews it's the first time that they have their portraits they have taken. Their portrait yeah. taken. Like, can you give some examples of, of the the jobs that these people do? Because I think, yeah, like you mentioned, they're often almost invisible to, mm-hmm. to most Hong Kongers. Yes, absolutely. Um, one example would be, um, which was a really fantastic experience for us, was um, when we interviewed the seafarers and we got on a cargo ship. And, you know, in Hong Kong, we're surrounded by water. Yeah. We of- often see these huge container ships, but probably don't think about them at all or what's in them, how it works. Um, and so we got on this cargo ship and we met 23 of the crew members there. And this was during the height of COVID. How did you actually? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> We, um, yeah, that took a little bit of convincing because yeah, obviously, right. it, you know, they were very strict with all the COVID mm. requirements and stuff. But um, so we managed to get on this amazing ship um, and these seafarers, they had not left the container ship for nine months. Wow. They have, had not stepped foot outside and, and they are so integral to, you know, everything that we use and consume and buy in, in Hong Kong, well, around the world, really, but nobody really understands what they do. So that's just one example um, yeah, there of are the examples profession. That are much closer to our yeah. daily lives, uh, like the street cleaners, the security guards. Uh, talking about street cleaners, I learned a lot about how they go about their days. I hadn't realized before um, seeing them, literally, um, that the same team would be looking after the same streets in a neighborhood that they had a very specific route uh, and and also uh, places where they have their their breaks. I mean, it it sounds all obvious and I'm sure a lot of people have seen it, but I have to admit for me, for a long time, a street cleaner was a street cleaner. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I didn't pay a lot of attention. And it's a lot about just opening up your eyes and just looking around, which makes your experience a lot more interesting yeah. generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And we also discovered professions that we didn't even know existed in the first place. Like um, we came across this lovely old man in Taihang, has a little hole in the wall shop and his main job, which is what he's been doing for half a decade, is is upholstering taxi seats right and that's a whole an whole industry career. i never knew i needed but of course they do exactly and he's probably like the one remaining mm. person doing that on hong kong island so. i think uh, another big part which is maybe less obvious uh clearly if you google hong kong shifts you will see a lot of stories of people working in the community on our streets but um also, in our work environments, there are many people working behind the scenes 
which often don't, don't make the spotlights and um, which I think would deserve more recognition within a corporate environment. And so that's why um, we are also actively working, collaborating with organizations, corporations, uh, clubs to work with them on, on these themes because uh, also simply because from a business perspective, uh, giving everyone the recognition they deserve just allows the organization to function better, mm -hmm. uh, but also it's just the right thing to do. As we spoke, the woman who cleans the co-working space in which Hong Kong Free Press is based, herself a contract worker, set to work restoring the office to the state in which we encounter it when we arrive in the morning. Her presence was a timely reminder of the workers who often go ignored, but, as Hong Kong shifts hopes to highlight, keep the city going. Also, we are, we are not, I mean, obviously not preaching to have conversations with everyone. No, right. <laughs> and, and, and we do approach uh, people that are not interested to speak, and yeah. that's absolutely fine. Of course, Again, yeah. it's not about um, an individual story or trying to, it's just about paying attention and, and having this openness of having that opportunity to have a casual chat if the opportunity arises. Mm -hmm. uh, and the message is sometimes you just need to create that opportunity or see that opportunity. Yeah. There are opportunities everywhere all the time. Sometimes we're busy, <laughs> we cannot uh, act on all the opportunities, but uh, it just requires a bit of curiosity. Mm. And generally, though, are people quite willing to kind of stop and have a chat? Um, generally, yes. Actually, surprisingly, a lot of people um, are quite happy to <clears throat> take a little break from, from their work mm -hmm. and just to have someone be curious about what they're doing. Um, there are, of course, others that are just way too busy to even stop and have, have any sort of break. Um, but I think it does take a bit of a gradual approach yeah. to kind of get them to warm up and to understand, you know, what, what we're there for, that we don't actually want anything special from them. It's really, we just want to hear their story. So, yeah. Well, your success rate has improved over time as well, as this you've is, learned how to correct. do it as well. This is correct. It does take some practice. And I think if uh, we were to approach um, the people we feature by saying, hi, can we interview you? Um, yeah. It wouldn't work. Yeah, right. So how do you, how do you approach people? That's a trade secret. <laughs> no, I'm happy to share. There's no rocket science to it, actually. It's really just approaching someone with a smile. Now mm -hmm. it's easier without the mask. Yeah, right. Um, and showing like respect um, and curiosity. And I usually just ha ask a few questions initially, easy questions. Like, oh, what are you doing? Um, have you been here for many years? And, and to see how they respond. And then gradually I'll just continue the conversation as I would be if I were meeting a new friend. So it's a very organic approach. Yeah, yeah it's always interesting to be explaining that to a journalist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that much better yeah. than we did. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I'm sure we could learn a thing or two. Yeah, so it's a, yeah, it's a very organic approach. And then it's, we try and also, keep the interview quite fun as mm -hmm. well like a fun experience we maxime makes crack some jokes and then you know he takes <laughs> the portraits and we show them the pictures and it, it just becomes like quite an interactive like fun experience yeah. for them as well um and yeah i think that's that's really important mm -hmm. yeah and mo most of them are 
Hong Kong Cantonese speakers? Um, we would say like the yes, currently the majority um, of shift workers are Cantonese. We mm. we do have also um, a percentage of people that are not Cantonese speakers, in which case I would do the interviews in in English yeah. or Mandarin as well once. Um, yeah. So how's your Cantonese mix? Fluent, fluent. No. <laughs> no, it's interesting you ask that question because actually one thing that we are um, we haven't featured any uh, Caucasian uh, Caucasian mm. shift workers. Shift workers. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not on purpose. Um, but so we 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 are conscious to try and, and keep it diverse. Yeah. Right, so that so as to reflect the the Hong Kong population mm-hmm. uh, and. That is some something we need to be conscious of. Mm-hmm. It's a very uh, organic process, mm. uh, but I think um, we um, there is a perception sometimes that we do feature a lot of people that are quite old, or and, and we don't we wouldn't <laughs> want to portray it or or or, or 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 send a signal that that I mean shift workers only mm. involves uh, um, the elderly, elderly population. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> Many of the people featured on Hong Kong shifts work low-paying jobs in a city where wealth inequality is a major issue and which has only been exacerbated by COVID-19. According to a report released by Oxfam Hong Kong in October 2022, the average monthly income of Hong Kong's poorest households fell by 22.9% to 2,700 Hong Kong dollars from 2019 to 2022. That's roughly equivalent to 350 US dollars per month. In the same period, the average income of the richest households rose by 6.3% to 127,600 Hong Kong dollars, or about 16,250 US dollars per month. Many of the people you're speaking to, they work these low income yeah. jobs. Um, is this ever something that you address? I think um, we we don't try and make that kind of an essential part of the interview, um, but there have been definitely quite a few occasions where we've spoken to especially um, the street cleaners or um, the cardboard collecting grannies, um, where they have kind of expressed that, you know, it it is tough, this is how much we earn. Um, However, kind of what really surprised us in that experience and this was kind of during the height of covid um where they were obviously the most exposed to risks of getting ill and and not getting proper care um they said to us that actually yeah like this is our wage um it's it's fine it's not it's not great but what we kind of really do miss is um kind of connecting with people in our community or people acknowledging us or giving us the recognition that Mm. we are working hard and we're here to serve the community so yeah that yes was... and so i think that that was quite that's something i found very surprising mm. and that's also something that gives us no more confidence to stress the importance of giving people the recognition they deserve not because we say it because they say yeah. it and that's actually the key thing that and consistent thing we hear from the people that we are interviewing mm-hmm. i still remember the street cleaner on hollywood road that told us yes i don't make much yes it's challenging yes i need more more sanitary protection but what i i need most is people to acknowledge me or or, or even an eye contact and that was really the moment i realized 
it is worth doing yeah. and it's something really simple but that makes a big difference and when you think about it and again that's from my personal experience we all need recognition from our friends from work whether it's recognition from our clients from our colleagues just a basic human need which is not fulfilled mm. for many shift workers because we fail to realize that their customers are all of us mm. our goal is to try and, and keep a relationship with the people that um, we are approaching um, um, we don't want to go there get the stories and forget about them so we are always inviting them to the community events we organize we go back to them to share their stories and if there are opportunities to get them involved uh, we will do so yeah um, and also one more thing which is um kind of a gift from this project is that every time we're in an, a neighborhood in, mm. in hong kong we're kind of almost bound to know someone working there and it's really nice to kind of go back and have a chat with them check in um so yeah that i find really special and has it taken you to to kind of places you would never have gone to otherwise uh, yeah absolutely i mean i would say most places i i probably wouldn't have thought to venture to myself like if you're you don't have a particular purpose to go there um but i think it's been the best thing ever yeah yeah that's that, i mean as as a team working on the project that's one of the aspects we love we just literally pick a neighborhood we've never been and we just walk around and we see what happens yeah and i would invite everyone to try it out it's, it's a really, really fun. fun way of discovering <laughs> hong kong and hong kong has so much to offer i've been here close to 14 years and i have this project has allowed me to discover so many things i had no idea even existed um, which shows you i was clearly living in a bubble um, <laughs> yeah. but it's just a fun thing to do and it's so diversified um yeah, yeah. And you always get surprises as well. Yeah. Yeah. You just like go with an open mind mm -hmm. and see what who you see and what you find. <laughs> and do you think, because obviously you grew up here and you did not, do you think that brings different perspectives to the project? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess my perspective, which I, I'll share, is that, um, well, even though I grew up here, mm -hmm. I did grow up in a very much of a bubble. Mm -hmm. Um, and so kind of being able to use Cantonese, uh, which is a language that I only started kind of picking up again properly since I moved back here five years ago, like using that to connect with people in our community and to kind of be able to engage with them um, and to make them laugh or sometimes, you know, so to, that for me is like really special for me mm. to get to know my home. Um, and also just to learn so much more about what's out there. Um, it's just made my experience a lot richer. The project really has transformed me personally. So, so it's a very kind of important project for me personally. Um, it's encouraged me to get totally outside of my comfort zone of just engaging with strangers um, and kind of trying to build that connection uh, very quickly and and so yeah for me that's a huge learning learning um, experience because now I kind of feel like I am a lot more open with kind of talking to any like anyone and it's brought me so much because I I've just made so many amazing new connections just by taking that one step um, to engage um, 
How about you? Um, I, I have yeah rediscovered my city mm. and its people. I have made tons of new friends. Um, and I think uh, generally has in improved or increased my level of happiness mm. simply because, and I'm convinced that by engaging with people around us, it just benefits everyone. Hopefully the, mess, the, the, the project also helps people realize that, um, yes, people come from different social, social economic backgrounds, but at the core, we all have the same basic needs. And, and so by highlighting, the, and that's something, that's a feedback we get, we got a lot from our recent exhibition. People say that they get that from the stories, that at the end of the day, the people have more similar than what they think. And once you realize that, it becomes easier to build connections mm -hmm. because you share a lot of, in common. Mm -hmm. I've also realized um, how storytelling can be empowering, and that's something we didn't discuss, but that's really our focus now, using storytelling as a tool um, to empower the person sourcing the story. And that's something that we both mm -hmm. experience, but also um, the person whose story is being told. The project has also taught me that when you when you think of storytelling, it, it doesn't necessarily have have to be like dramatized or sensationalized or like, you know, this big glamorous thing. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of really moving and powerful stories just literally five feet away from us, like all of us. And I think that's a message that we also really want, want to share. Speaking from a journalist perspective, it's super interesting to see because we're always taught to kind of find, you know, someone who's ha got a real story to tell, mm. right? And actually, everybody has. And I think mm. there's 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 incredible importance in realizing that literally everybody has value and mm -hmm. their story is worth hearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's surprising actually because <laughs> when we do the interview, it's often in Cantonese. I don't get mm. to hear the story, but when I read it, I mean every single time I enjoy reading it and there's something I didn't know or something that's witty it's, and, and we are not curating any stories mm -hmm. all the people that we are featuring are the people we approach and that said yes mm -hmm. so it hasn't happened yet where we start interviewing a person and then we see oh this <laughs> yeah, is not very yeah. interesting you're not, you're not looking for like a good case which no, is absolutely quite not. Which, which taught to do which is yeah it's something that we didn't expect either mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's why, again, we, as we move uh, forward, we increasingly want to work with us and give, give others an opportunity to practice uh, storytelling as an empowerment mm -hmm. tool. Do you have any like, background in storytelling, either of you? None at all. None whatsoever. <laughs> I just you do now. I, you've, you've acquired one now. I mean, I love to read stories. Yeah. That was kind of my my interest, but yeah. Well, storytelling is very... It's broad. Broad yes. term. Everybody does storytelling. Uh, are we doing storytelling? We, we, I don't know. I mean... You're providing a platform as, for storytelling. Well, I, yes. think, I mean, we do our thing, and it doesn't really matter how it's called, as long as mm. it brings value to us and hopefully... Uh, to the audience and I think it took me a while um, to be comfortable with the idea that yes I'm standing up for the project and I'm proud of it and I, yes I think it does have an impact it, I mean, it's not life-changing for sure but I, 
I do think that the message and these stories are important and that it's worth spending efforts um, mm. and, 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 and sometimes, yeah, it's not always easy, but it's really worth it. And mm -hmm. I'm very happy uh, to be here with you today to discuss it. That's it for this week's episode of Yamcha, in conversation with co-founders of social impact storytelling platform Hong Kong Shifts. To see their work and the shift workers they have profiled, visit hongkongshifts.com or search for Hong Kong Shifts on social media. You've been listening to Yamcha, a news podcast from Hong Kong Free Press, written, produced and edited by me, Mercedes Hutton. HKFP is a member of the Trust Project. Find out all about our journalistic standards by visiting hongkongfp.com forward slash ethics. And for more informative and impartial coverage, and to learn how to support our journalist-led newsroom, visit hongkongfp.com. <laughs>